Welcome to Attack of the Final Girls. I'm Teresa. And I'm Juliet. And we're doing something brand spanking new for our listeners. This is the very first episode of our hot takes. Yeah. It's very hot. <laughs> it's a take. I don't know. I can't be any more clever than that because my coffee has not kicked in yet. My coffee just kicked in. I'm ready. I'm primed. I'm like, this is peak Teresa right here. <laughs> but the hot takes are basically... Juliet and I are going to go see a new horror movie, one that we probably aren't going to be able to feature on the podcast because, listen, our backlog is, like, intense as it is. We have a very intense spreadsheet. It's intense. And also, like, some movies definitely deserve to be covered all the way, but some movies we're just not going to be able to get to. Or we're not going to get to them right away. I mean, we do kind of, you know... We didn't have this when we first started the podcast, but we pretty quickly decided that we weren't going to do new movies unless they were available uh, because we want to be accessible to as many listeners as possible. So we weren't going to do a full deep dive, like hour long episode for something that number one, we just saw in the theater because sometimes it's hard to take notes and remember things. But also number two, that especially when we started the podcast a year ago, We were still very much in pandemic times, and we know that there are still many, many people, um, especially in the horror community, who can't or are choosing not to go to the theaters right now for their own safety or the safety of those around them and are, you know, opting to stick with streaming and at-home viewing. So we're going to keep our regular episodes accessible to all by only featuring movies that are available in some kind of home media streaming dvd blu-ray format but hot takes for those of you who are moviegoers and we might do some brand new streaming stuff too we'll see Mm -hmm. that's going to be kind of your first look at a new movie and maybe that'll help you decide even if you can't see it in the theater it'll help you decide if it's something you want to prioritize when it comes out on streaming totally and these also will probably be a lot shorter than our regular episodes because Number one, this is a hot take. Hot takes typically don't last an hour. And number two, we don't want to spoil this for you. We want to try and be as spoiler-free as possible, entice you to go see it or to look out for it on streaming or physical media when it gets there. So these will be a little bit shorter. And this first one is available to all. Yes, this first one is available to everybody. Uh, If you are a regular subscriber to the podcast, which I hope you are. Um, You're seeing this in your regular feed. Moving forward, however, hot takes are a perk for our Patreon patrons. So you can subscribe at patreon.com slash attack of the final girls. We have super low monthly patron rates because again, we're trying to be accessible to as many listeners as possible. Future hot takes will be appearing on the Patreon feed for our uh, subscribers. So for our very first hot take, we last night, we just saw the menu, which you may have seen previews for at this point. Um, It's a searchlight pictures feature. I don't think it opened wide. Yeah, it's limited. Um, Like our art house is getting it actually. Our bigger theaters, one of them got it and they tend to pick up some limited release horror. But I know that at least one, actually both of the art houses in our community either have them right now. I think they're both getting it. So they're getting it a little later. Okay. But we saw the menu and it features Ralph Fiennes as Chef Slowick. Anna Taylor-Joy as Margot, Nicholas Holt as Tyler. That's basically your main cast of characters. 
Yeah, we've got John Leguizamo in there as supporting cast. Judith Light, who I adore and love seeing her in movies and in stuff in general uh, as a old school soap opera fan when I was a kid. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Judith Light, Janet McTeer, and I, I love Janet McTeer. If you haven't seen Ozark, she plays a pretty critical role in Ozark, which I loved. She was also in Jessica Jones for a hot minute, which... I love Jessica Jones. Yeah. One of my favorite Netflix Marvel streaming TV shows. Although they were all so freaking good. <laughs> oh, man. I really do miss that. I'm sad that we're never going to get like another season of Luke Cage or yeah, another season of... I mean, I guess we're going to get another season of Daredevil, but... Maybe the Disney Plus version. So we'll see how that goes. But never the Punisher. like yeah. Punisher's so complicated at this point. Oh, my God. I know. I truly, really did like John Bernthal's version of the Punisher. But I feel like it's been co-opted. Yeah. And I just, I beg, every time I see a Blue Lives Matter Punisher sticker, I'm just going to say the quiet part out loud. Every time I see it, I'm like, please go back. Yeah. And rewatch that because I don't think that it's saying what you think it's saying. Exactly. Yeah. Like, the Punisher... Oh, I don't know. I don't know how I got off on the Punisher, but the pu- Punisher is not, uh, he's not, not a bootlicker. He's not who you think he is. He's not, he's not a bootlicker. How about that? It always, like, bugs me to yeah. see those stickers. And I'm always like, just take your stupid Jeep and go home. <laughs> I don't know. Get a flat tire or something. I have such a hard time, like, wishing harm on people because I'm really superstitious about that. So I'm always just like, I hope that you get a flat tire. <laughs> hope that you have a bad day. <laughs> I hope that your cat poops outside the letterbox. <laughs> I mean, that would be a bad day, though. So the menu is essentially the story of a young couple and Taylor Joy and Nick Holt, Margot and Tyler, who go on this very ritzy, very expensive trip to an island to eat at a very exclusive restaurant. The restaurant's called Hawthorne. And Ralph Fiennes is Chef Slowick, the executive chef at Hawthorne. And once they step foot off that boat, uh, chaos ensues. Yeah, yeah. This is one of these like very exclusive dining experiences that really does happen where there are only 12 people that are attending this dinner and you are immersed. The meal has a story. The menu has a story. If you've seen the trailers, you know, he, he says it like six times in the trailer and even more so in the movie. He's like, it's all about the menu. It's that's not according to the menu. We have to follow the menu. And yeah. that concept is a real fine dining concept, especially this sort of like, not traditional fine dining, but sort of the new wave of fine dining. That is a thing, menus that tell a story. And, you know, that can be a good thing. And that can be a very pretentious thing. And this movie kind of explores both aspects of it. Yeah, when we first started the movie, I thought that it was pretentious to a laughable level. Yeah. Both the people attending this dinner, like the band, the Motley Band of Characters, John Leguizamo as sort of a washed up, like former 80s character actor and his uh, attache, you know, Uh I guess uh, I think she's like an assistant or something. Yeah. And then you have the food critic, the very high yes. elite food critic, Janet McTeer. You have the rich guy. You have the uh, crypto bros. Yep, yep. And then you have Tyler and Margot. 
And there's one other person, but I, I don't I'm not even going to talk about that because yeah. that's like special. Yeah. Um, there's one other person. You'll have to keep an eye out. They're there when you arrive yes. at the restaurant. So just keep an eye out for that. But yeah, with the exception of Margot, literally everybody who is on this journey is pretentious to a absurd level. And I say absurd, but I mean like absurd because they do exist. And you yeah. you know that those people exist. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about this movie based on the trailer is I was I was thinking from the get, like, they're either gonna do this really, really well. Like this is either gonna be like high horror satire or it's gonna be really, really stupid. And mm-hmm. I thought it achieved like high horror satire because the characters were so ridiculous and yet so believable because they're so ridiculous. You're just like, oh, yeah, like, especially the food critic. I was like, I've read those reviews, you yep. know, I've heard those people interviewed. I, I have heard, you know, especially um, on some of the podcasts that I listen to, like, I have heard people talk about food using this language. Yeah. You know, where you're just like, what are you even saying at this point? Right. And it's completely out of touch with 99.8% of people who are actually eating food. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because the meals that uh, Chef Slowick is featuring are things like, there's a fresh oyster and yeah. that starts, you know, that that's like how he welcomes them onto the boat. And then the amuse is like rocks like arranged artfully. With scallops. With like a single scallop on yes. top. And then your bread course is not bread. Right. <laughs> and it's just like accompaniments for not bread. And the way that Janet McTeer's like critic character talks about it is infuriating. Yeah, it really is. Because you're like... This is not food at this point. This is teases of food. It's ridiculous. But in a way where you're like, yes, this is silly. And yes, these people are super goofy. Also, I would pay $1,200 to try this. Dude, I know. If I had it. If I I had the money. Yeah. So, like, I thought the exact same thing. (laughs) I was simultaneously like, this is such bullshit. And yet I was like... I mean, I get the concept of that scallop, and I love scallops, and I bet that would be really good. Right? Like, (laughs) it looks like the freshest scallop I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. But also, I don't have $1,200 to spend on literally anything, so. (laughs) Juliet and I sometimes go out for dinner and, like, treat ourselves to nice dinner, and I was like, I could see this being a podcast, like, congratulatory dinner, (laughs) and then afterwards being like, it was delicious, it was bullshit. It was delicious, though. (laughs) It was delicious bullshit. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like, we're never going to be able to do this ever again. It was horseshit. Also delicious. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that was one of the things that I liked most about this movie is that it was extremely self-aware. And I say this as somebody who's watched every episode of Chef's Table. will watch every single episode of Chef's Table. It makes me drool to watch that. So, like, I will watch that forever. And I love seeing that. But also... They do a really good job of exploring the class politics around fine dining and yeah. how these foods are inaccessible in that state for almost every single person alive. Exactly. And yet these people are spending $1,200 a plate or a seat to eat this food. How appreciative are they? Can they be appreciative at that point? Can Janet McTeer's critic character get out of her own ass and be able to Mm. (laughs) enjoy this food? 
or is it beyond that? And moreover, when you're looking at fine dining, this movie really hits on a question that I appreciate a lot, which is, on the one hand, we talk about fine dining the same way we talk about art, Mm -hmm. and yet we treat, we might treat an executive chef, um, and we very much see this in um, our lead character, um, we treat them like the artiste. Mm -hmm. And in this case, and this is very much the case in a lot of fine dining, it's the problematic male genius artiste who can get away with a lot of bad behavior because he's an air quotes genius white man. Mm -hmm. But also, it's just this really interesting push and pull. We talk about fine dining as if it is art, and yet dining and food in and of itself is still service Mm -hmm. and it's service work and so what is the physical psychological emotional toll on people who especially like sous chefs cooks line cooks all of the people that surround that head chef what is that toll on them when they are supposed to execute art and yet are still treated like trash because they're in the service industry Yeah, and I would argue that while I do believe being an artist is absolutely a a viable profession, I think that having formerly been married to somebody who was a chef in a kitchen full-time and my mom being having been a chef in a kitchen full-time, it is one of the most difficult and hardcore positions to have on your body on a regular basis. Yeah. Not only because, like, you can burn yourself, you can steam burn yourself – you're on your feet the whole time. And a lot of times in these executive kitchens and like fine dining establishments, there's no breaks. Right. Like if you're on dinner service, you're there from five till two in the morning. And then it's like, okay, I guess you pass out. And if you haven't read it or if you haven't like perused any of Anthony Bourdain's work, mm-hmm. his first book, it's called Kitchen Confidential. Oh, yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah, it's a great book. If you haven't read that, I highly recommend doing that because he gets into the seedy side of the service industry too, like how a lot of times there's a lot of drug use and drug abuse, um, but it's in service to the art. Yeah. Like you have to do cocaine because you've been up for 12 hours prepping for the meal service and you had to like get really creative with some fish and like it's time and you're going to be on your feet this entire time. And, you know, I really would highly recommend that it is so hard on your body. Yeah. It's so easy to burn out because how can you devote yourself 12 hours a day to this service? Like, do you not get to have a life outside of that? Do you not get to have a family? So they definitely explore a lot of that. And I I really, really, really appreciated that self-awareness. Definitely. Yeah. But speaking of service industry, you totally mentioned something to me earlier. Let's talk about sex work. Yeah, yeah. So without giving too much away, this film does talk about sex work and talks about it in a really progressive way. I was so thrilled about this. Rare are the films that can talk about sex work in such a way where it is part of a character's identity but it is not their entire identity it is their profession Mm -hmm. and it is not tropey and weird they aren't like you know the person fallen from glory that has to be saved or or and and we don't know why this Mm -hmm. person is a sex worker but we do know that they enjoy their work yes that is a question that that is asked in a conversation in the movie is you know there's this whole conversation about service from the head chef to the sex worker. And they're talking about the parallels of service. Mm -hmm. And the head chef says like, you know, 
Do you enjoy your work? Do you enjoy um, doing service work, being, you know, being good at it? And and the person, the character who is a sex worker says, yes, yes, I do. Yeah. And it's never like, oh, I got into sex work because... I had to save up money or blah, blah, blah. My family member was sick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can entirely imagine, you know, maybe this person just got into sex work because they wanted to. Yeah. Because that is the case for many people. And yes, there's privilege involved in that. And if you want to explore that, go listen to A Sex Worker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's an amazing podcast that really dives into that more completely. But I just loved it. Like, yeah. I love having a movie that is so much about work and service work and includes sex work in that in a very progressive way, uh, in a way that doesn't trivialize the work, in a way that holds it up as this equally complicated thing to, you know, the artistry, the push and pull of the food world and the view of people that work in that world. Same thing with sex work. Yeah, the service industry in general, I think we forget that sex work is a type of service. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the service industry, we, we typically think, okay, bartenders, folks who work in restaurants, um, things like that. But sex work is absolutely, it's the oldest service industry. Yeah. So um, to to hear Chef Slowick put to say that and say like, you are a service worker, mm-hmm. you are one of us was awesome. Yeah. And it's not a pretty woman situation. No, you know? not like, at all. <laughs> this person doesn't have to be saved and like, you know, go straight, quote unquote, and like get married or whatever. Like, it's just a thing. And yeah. it's revelatory in terms of the story, minorly. Yeah. It doesn't end up having to do with the entire arc. But it is a little bit rele- revelatory because there's some interactions happening you're like yeah what the hell's going on with that it's because of that yeah so yeah not to spoil it too much but yeah um the normalizing of sex work and adding value to that and being respectful yeah. of somebody who is a, is a sex worker it was almost a situation where the conversation you could just like kind of gloss past it if you weren't paying close attention yeah but if you're paying close attention it's like it makes it so much more important to hear that because they never come right out and say it. Right. They speak in metaphors, but it is clear what they're referencing. It's very clear. Yeah. Yeah. So I was extremely happy. Also, I just want to say, Ralph Fiennes could probably make a commercial better. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, truly, truly. Like, he, he really is a very, very, very talented actor. And I think that, like, after having watched it, I think that if they had not cast him or not cast somebody of his caliber, I probably would not have enjoyed it. I probably wouldn't have been bought in. So he, interestingly, I read this last night, very late after we saw the movie, (laughs) I guess that he was who they originally wanted and he almost couldn't do it because of schedules. And they wanted him so much and he liked the role so much that they figured out how to make it work. And same thing, awesome. I guess, with Anna Taylor-Joy. They almost lost her because of schedules because she's in, like, everything right now. Yeah. And Emma Stone was almost her replacement. What? Which is interesting. I don't know. It would brought if... a very different nuance to that performance, I think. I think so, too. I think uh, I love Anna Taylor-Joy a lot, and I've seen her in quite a few things of late. Yeah. I think the first thing I, we ever saw her in was The Witch. Yeah. Which we saw together um, way back in 2016. But she was in The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. I don't know if you've watched that, but very, very, very good. The other folks, as much as I love them, 
are sort of incidental. Yeah. Ralph Fiennes is a commanding and, like, believable executive chef. It was very, very much a situation where I was like, yeah, I could see that. I could see him being, like, the power-driven, eschew all other things, you know, like, no wife, no kids. Yeah. Just food. Yeah. um, Or just uh, taste. He says, don't eat taste yeah yeah. and what i love about that character too is you know he is ultimately like and i don't think this is a spoiler to say this because the trailer sets it up very clearly he is the villain and the film does a really nice job of bopping you back and forth between being like well you know he's kind of have a point and then like oh oh no he's totally bananas okay (laughs) okay cool you know, yep. and, and I like that in a villain. Like, that's very satisfying to have that kind of push and pull of like, I see where he's coming from on this, but whoa, he just went off the deep end again. You yes. know, it, it, it was great. And I think he really brought the nuance to that performance to kind of keep you guessing with him. Yeah. And I like that he is certainly not the only villain. Exactly. Yes. Because another thing that the movie kind of explores as a concept is the villain or villains getting what's coming to them. Uh-huh. It was very satisfying. Oh, yeah. I yeah. thought. Now, if I were a uh, like person who could ever attend a dinner like this yeah. and be able to just like shell out 1200 bucks and be like, oh, I don't care. I'm just going to eat this for dinner. Which, to be clear, I don't think I could ever do. Yes. <laughs> I don't think I could ever be like, yes, I will spend one th- over $1,000 on one night worth of dinner. I don't think I could ever do that. But watching people who don't care about that level of money, yeah, to have to reckon with their level of privilege, yeah, is very satisfying. And I will just say that seeing all of the villains have to reckon with their sins is very, very, very satisfying. Yeah. I think that was my favorite part about the the movie. Yeah. Somebody on Twitter, I can't remember who, or I would attribute this. So if it was you, sorry, I don't remember it was you. (laughs) Uh, Somebody who got to do an early screening of it said that this is the midsummer of the food world. Yes. And I kind of went in wondering, like, what does that mean? And I was like, oh, yeah, I totally, literally and figuratively see what they were saying with that. Yep. Yep. I see that now. Yep. It's it's clicking for yeah. me in a fantastic way, though. Yeah, like, yeah. Definitely awesome. But I don't have anything else. I will just finish up by saying that I really wanted a cheeseburger. Oh, my God, me too. <laughs> At the end of it. Me too. It was so late when we got out. And we're still in, like, weird pandemic times. And it makes me sad because I think... I think the pandemic killed like late night eating experiences even further in our part of the Midwest. And I was like, I could literally go to a diner right now and have a cheeseburger after this movie. And alas, nothing was open at one in the morning on a Thursday. Used to be that Steak and Shake, you could go, you know, Steak and Shake was open late. Diners. I mean, you could go to Waffle House, but also like, that's not the cheeseburger you want. And also if you go to Waffle House, like, you're gonna I'm, get not, waffles. I'm not going to get a cheeseburger. Yeah, I'm going to get hash browns. <laughs> hash browns. I'm going to get an omelet or I'm going to get a Texas steak, egg, and cheese melt. Always. Yes. I always get the Texas steak, egg, and cheese melt plate, hash browns, double hash browns, put some ketchup on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just thinking, like, I have to go downstairs and prepare dinner, but also I definitely want some waffles. Yeah. Now. Yeah. 
I need diner food stat. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you'll probably really want a big greasy cheeseburger after this. And not to say that you won't want an expensive meal, but you're, you're going to want that cheeseburger more. Definitely. Yeah. So this one is for free, but the next one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First one's free. Yeah, so this is our first hot take. Just a reminder, if you want more hot takes and other goodies, please join us over on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash attack of the final girl. There are several different um, patron subscription levels there that you can engage with us on. And we would love to see you there. Of course, we will always have our biweekly movie reviews in the regular feed. And um, stick with us on social media, wherever that might be. Instagram, TikTok, Mastodon. Still Twitter in this moment as of this recording on November 18th at 7.30 in the evening. By the time this posts, who knows? Yes. Sad times. Sad times. RIP Twitter. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Attack of the Final Girls. Find us online at attackofthefinalgirls.com. We are Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and TikTok and Final Girls Pod on Twitter. Our theme music is by House Ghost and is available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode and rate and review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. I'm Juliette. And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Yeah.